morning. How's everyone? All right. <laughs> Good to hear. Um, thanks for having me here, and uh, appreciate the opportunity to speak to you guys. Um, just, I know that if you're like me, uh, and, and you're sitting here, and, and there's a guy from California going to talk to you about this sensitive subject, you're like, okay, c- come on, who is this guy? I mean, especially, d- did we have to go to California to get a guy like this? And I just want to present some of my credentials to you, just so you'll, just so you'll receive me a little more warmly. Um, th- can I have that first slide there? This, this is me at the Holiday Bowl, all right? Like, that, those, those guys in red, those would be your Cornhuskers right there. And you think... Yes, but who were you rooting for? Here, let me get the next picture. There it is. That's me right there on the right. See, and that's, see that Bo, that's a Bo Pelini shirt, friend. So uh, <laughs> look at that. There's, and that's a, a guy that, uh, I, I used to live here. I was a youth pastor at Christ Community, and I helped uh, Chad there come to Christ. He flew out, got us a couple tickets. We had those great seats, and, and they put, uh, we were on the all Dr. Pepper inspirational team, by the way, so that's why they put that up for us. And, uh, and then, uh, uh, you know, and I was sitting by a sea of Omahans, like in this, and here I am in San Diego, and like it's, the whole stadium is packed in red, and uh, you know, all these people there, and uh, in celebration, of, did you guys watch the game on TV, I assume, or something? Uh, yeah, and in celebration of the victory, all the Omahans met later, can I get the next slide, and tried to burn down our city, so uh, <laughs> we really appreciate that, and the fire department did a crack job of putting out your riot, and so we're, uh, we're really thankful for that. And just uh, great to have you here. So, therefore, I'm qualified to speak on abortion. So, uh, there it is. So, there, ready? Are you, do you feel better now? Anybody? You feel better? Good. You should feel much better. Uh, it's always great to get out of San Diego in January and here to Omaha. So, that's cool, too. So, thanks for that. But um, I, I get it. I get that there's not a more evocative, emotionally evocative issue than the issue we're going to talk about today and uh, the issue of abortion. And, and in your series, Debated, Answering Hard Questions, I asked if I could do any of the other ones, and they said no. And uh, so uh, here we are. And, uh, and the, the thing is, I, I just, I, I've spoken on this seven or eight times at our church in San Diego at Journey. Um, by the way, uh, like John mentioned my wife, and uh, we have three kids, and, um, and uh I, I, I mentioned yeah, I used to live here, right? So you're, you're going to be okay with this. But I, I just need, here's how I usually start our messages at Journey when I do this, that we are unabashedly, unashamedly pro-life. We're, we're pro-life. And that's not a political statement that we're pro-life because we think that, that God is pro-life. But we're not angrily pro-life. We're not condemningly pro-life. We're, uh, we, and it's, the fact that we're pro-life is not rooted in some, you know, a few proof texts of the Bible where we go, see, like, look, that word means this. It's more like the whole flow of the whole thing. And so um, we, we are talking, John and I were talking about, you know, what this message ought to look like and, and how it fits in with your series and stuff. And so I, I said, hey, can we do like, since there's kind of a, a good deal of info I'd like to kind of have us have, I asked if we could go back. I know you guys used to do this and kind of went away from this. Back to the, this is what we do at our church. We do an outline. And frankly, this looks way better than our outline. So I'm I'm going to take this back. And so, so could you take this out and put it on your lap? And even if you don't fill in the cool blanks, which you, you can, I'd encourage you to do that. But even if you don't, it'll have the scriptures that we're going to look at are on the, the outline. So um, if you're new to the Bible, I don't know if you're new to it. I remember when I first started going to church, the guy would say, turn to, uh, turn to Second Chronicles chapter 9. And, and I'd be like, you know, and I'm looking for the, thinking it's in order and stuff. And so by the time I got to Second Chronicles 9, we'd be on to, 
you know, to Hezekiah 4 and, you know, uh, Lam Lamborghini 7. And just, I never could find anything. So it's right there, right in front of you. And, and like I said, this is the, the idea of the, what we're going to talk about. I, for some of you, this is not the, the, the talk that some of you have this feeling. Like, I know this because this is how it is at our church. All right, finally, somebody's going to say something. Some, some of you are not going to get the talk that you're hoping for. Others of you are not going to get the talk you're afraid you're going to get. And so, so just what, what I like to do is just take a step back and like let's just look big picture. Like what, 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 is, what does this look like? And, I, and I'm going to take you all the way back and, and we'll call this um, God 101 and, and just unpacking God's heart for life. Uh, the, I was sitting on the plane with this girl on the uh, Phoenix to Omaha flight. The San Diego to Phoenix flight was like a, an hour-long roller coaster ride. It was amazing because we've had, the, you know, we had storms out there. We actually had a tornado warning in San Diego, believe it or not. And so I'm like, I, I literally, I, I had the bag on my lap. I was ready to fill that bad boy up. And it was, uh, that, that, I know I'm not in a youth talk here, so, but uh, um, let me describe it. No, it, it's more like, um, but I got on the next leg and I was um, sitting next to this girl and, 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 and uh, I, I didn't plan on saying anything because I was still a little sick, but the Lord had other plans. And we, so, but the thing is, one of the things I'm so convicted of is that sometimes if we go straight to the end and just give short one-word answers, we can be accurate and yet not true to the gospel. It is possible to say accurate things without being true to the heart of God and true to the, to the gospel. So we're going to step back, okay? And the question on the table, right, is, is there another way to talk about this? And I think there is if we step back. And so we're going all the way back. God 101, here it is. Uh, you might check this out, and there's a, it'll come on the screen when we, you know, uh, fill in a few things. And first of all, and this is the first slide, it'll come up, it's God as creator. We need to look at, at this really basic thing. I'm guessing that, that you, you know, uh, at our church we have varying degrees of familiarity with the Bible. I, I'm guessing that that's not new information to you, that the first two words of the Bible are, Bereshith bara, that, that God, in the beginning, God created God created. The creation of God is the very first thing in the Bible. It, that God, and this creation culminates in the creation of man and woman in the image of God. It's like God is the creation, the creator of all things, especially human. There's a verse in Proverbs that says that as God was creating, he was rejoicing in all of his works. This was fun for God. It's not like God was working up a sweat. He was, Isaiah calls it our creation and the cosmos, God's finger work. He didn't even have to roll up his sleeve. He's just with his fingers working stuff and just having a good time. And he was rejoicing in the, in, in the world, his earth, and he was rejoicing and enjoying the sons of men. As God created people, he was rejoicing. Now, here's, this is an important like, distinction. There's two things about God as creator. Okay, we're backing up, right? I know this is kind of basic. But God is the creator of humans directly. Uh, you can, if you want to like, put it like this, not inferentially. It's not like God... It's not like when, you, when God created people, it's not like God, you know, kind of got it going and then steps back. And you, you see this person and go, God, did you create this? And God will say, well, I guess I'm going to have to say yes because, you know, I mean, I, I did get this thing going. And, uh, you know, I guess this whole thing's my fault. God is the creator of people directly. Look down at your outline. You'll see in Proverbs, the, the rich and the poor have a common bond. The Lord is the maker of them all. And there it doesn't, God doesn't use the word bara to create. He uses the word asa which means to make, to fashion, to, to build. Like God, God built you. God made you directly, not inferentially. It's not like God 
made it back then and you know well of course he made people with those kind of parts and so therefore here you are right it's god like you are god is the maker of you and 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 there's we need to remember that this is this is that that god this includes write this down everyone and everywhere he keep as you're writing just keep your eyes right down on the sheet and he made from one man every nation all the ethne the word he uses for nation is ethne it's like all the all the different stripes and varieties of people. He made from one man every nation of mankind to dwell on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times. The, the thing is, there is no group of humans that is excluded, and there is no human outside of this group. And, and you know, you don't have to be a history buff to get the horrors that has come from when we forget that God created everyone everywhere. There's this um, woman that's, uh, this family that's recently come, begun, began coming to our church, they started their, uh, their entry to our church. They came and they grabbed my wife's arm and their 20-something, and she leads their 20-something group. And they said, oh, we don't know anything about the Bible. Can we still come here? And we said, no. <laughs> Anyways, because um, uh, we just can't deal with people like you. But uh, no, we said, of course. And, um, and as she's, uh, she's in the same small group as my daughter. And, and she said, you know, both my parents are meth addicts. And uh, so I grew up, and I was that little girl that would come to school dirty, with dirty clothes and with her hair all matted and unwashed. And, you know, it's so tempting, right? And every study has shown how even teachers, professionals, you prefer the, the good-looking kid, the well-put-together kid, the, the attractive person. And, the, and God says, listen, no, you don't get this. I, I created everyone, everywhere. And it's not like I wound it up. And I directly created Melinda, and I directly built you. See, that's, that's huge. Now, God, let's kick it up a notch. God presents himself in God 101, not just as, as creator, but as owner. That's a huge thing to understand. And that, that so impacts our whole understanding that God is not just the creator. He's also the owner. It's not like God creates your life and says to you, here you go. Here's your life. Okay, go, go. You know, like pat you on the head and do your best. God says, look, look down. He's the owner. Keep looking at this scripture. He says, behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. That word soul is the Hebrew word nephesh. And, and it's like ne- nephesh can mean soul. It can mean life. It can mean animated. It's, it's, it's that, that life. God retains ownership of life, of your life. And let me give you one more God 101, and then we'll maybe be a little more direct about this. And this, that Jesus, in God 101, Jesus tells us something that God is also, I'm going to make up a word here. I hope that's all right, is God is the, the holyizer of life. He's like the, he's the creator, and he retains ownership. He's the owner, and he's also the holyizer. God is the holyizer of life. Uh, let's, let's mess with this scripture a little bit that's down and look down at it. Jesus is talking, and actually uh, uh, one of the scribes heard, that, asked, heard, this, heard Jesus answer a, a question, and, and this is from the Sermon on the Mount, and and Jesus is, is talking about a, another kind of tzaddik, another kind of righteousness, another way to live. And he said, you, you heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder. And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. Jesus is saying, there's a type of righteousness that is accurate. So here's a, here's a quiz. I hope you, a Bible quiz. I hope you'll pass it. Ready? Is it wrong to murder? How many say, yeah, probably. <laughs> 
How many say, who am I to judge? <laughs> All right, I, yeah, right? Like, probably, see, it's, you go to the end, and that's often what we do in a lot of the issues that we're talking about, is we go right to the end, and we show them it doesn't take long. In the um, Hebrew scripture, there's it, the, the you shall not commit murder part of the, t- of the ten words, the ten, the ten commandments, is just two words. It's just don't, you will not murder. It's not even, the, it's just don't murder. That's all it is, just two words. So, I mean, how hard is that? Just look, to don't worry. You can get, Jesus is saying this, there is a kind of righteousness that can just show you the two words, but that doesn't unpack the heart of God. And it's possible to be accurate, but not true to God and his heart. It's, I, it's possible to be, to say accurate things and still miss the point. See, that's, Jesus is kind of, in the Sermon on the Mount, he gets to the root of stuff and he helps with that. So look down again, right? Ready to look at the passage? All right. It's funny, some of you are still looking at me. It's like, it's not on my head. It's like, this guy, so I know it'll appear on his face. He seems like that time. No, I'm not. So you shall not, Jesus said, you heard the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder. In this righteousness that I'm talking about that's beyond that, let me unpack this, Jesus says. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, Racha, Racha is the, um, it's an Aramaic word that Jesus used here. Um, and if you really were to translate it, like probably how it would feel in that, you would have to use a word that, that would get me in trouble if I used it here today. Rock, you can even, can't you, doesn't it even sound like you should spit when you say it? Racha, right? You're like, <clears throat> excuse me, <laughs> I mean, right? It was like that kind of like a, a derit, like a, uh, you know, racha, you know? And, and then he says, whoever says to his brother, racha, you, you good for nothing, that's, you know, like, the best they could do in this translation, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says more, what does that sound like? Moron, right? Like, that this kind of this, I, I think our word would be idiot. You know, idiot, which is my favorite word on the freeway for my fellow motorists, I'm ashamed to say. Um, uh, we have traffic problems, so I, I, I'm, the Lord understands. He says, uh, he says, whoever says idiot, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Now, hang with me here and, and keep your brains engaged. The, there's a way to read this to where it's like Jesus is, Jesus is saying, uh, it's even harder than, you know, all, you know, like so many people. Have you had this conversation? When you ask them, like, are you okay with God? Like, uh, what do you think? Uh, what, where do you think you're going to end up when you die? And they go, well, I, I've never killed anyone. And so uh, probably haven't. I, I wonder when people say that. Well, I've never killed anyone. If God, I always wonder if God's up in heaven going, good for you. Wow. Good job. Really, you never kill anyone. Fantastic. Well, listen, Jesus is saying there's a way that you can just say two words and still not get it. He says there's, there's, there's something that I'm talking about that's at the root of this. That's at the root, and the root is this. It's not just about avoiding the taking of innocent life. That, of course that's wrong. Of course, of course, there's direct prohibitions in the scripture about the, on the taking of innocent human life. Of course. But there's a way to, to not get that and to, to be not pro-life in the way that God is. Which she says, listen, when you have contempt, when you sit and put yourself in a place of looking at somebody and going, idiot, that knucklehead, oh, jeez. When you get to pull it together, look at those people out there. How could God, Jesus says, "Listen, that's 
that's the root. That's the root. See, let me uh, throw something out for you to just turn over in your head. You can decide if you agree or not, whether you want to be right or not. The uh, uh, thing is, when the Bible talks about sin, like when it uses, when the, the, the biblical idea of sin is not about as much breaking a list of rules. It's not a violation of a code of conduct. Sin is a condition of the heart. Sin is a place of alienation that causes us to live out in a way that breaks the codes of conduct. You know, that's, and so when Jesus says, listen, it's possible to keep the rules and still be a sinner. It's possible to keep all the rules and still be somebody that Jesus says, your heart's a mess. You're like a, a tomb that's just covered over in white. That is very utterly possible. See, St. Ephraim, uh, he's a third century Syrian monk, the only Syrian doctor of the church. He, he said, every person you meet is fighting a great battle. So treat them accordingly. See, that's, that, he got this. That's what he's saying. When you treat somebody, every person you meet as a person that is fighting a great battle, you get this. You know, it's funny that in uh, Titus, he talks about like how we treat each other and he says, not reviling your brother. And the word reviling is this word. In the Greek, it's blasphemy, blasphemy. Imagine this. In God's mind, it is possible to blaspheme another human being. C.S. Lewis, he says his great quote, he says, if you were to see a man or a woman as God intended him to be and he will someday be in his presence, he would be a creature which you would be very tempted to worship. And Jesus says, when we don't treat people like that, we're missing the point. So that's, that's God 101. And it's important that we aren't just true to the two lines of Scripture, to the two words of Scripture, and not true to God's heart. So, so here's, here's where I'm going to you know, venture out and, and take a guess as to where our situation, where I think we are, like we as a culture and we as a people... Uh, I'll give you the fill-in in just a second, but, but here's, here, here's a few facts. Uh, John mentioned a couple of these. In this room, I, I know this is a little uncomfortable to talk about, but in this room, lots of us are affected by abortion. Uh, the, the stats are something, like, it's hard to get a handle on this, but some of the stats say that half of all American women will, will, will in some way, you know, will be involved in abortion in their lifetime. Almost, listen to this. One in five of the abortions performed in the United States, the women who are getting the abortion identify themselves as born-again or evangelical Christians. One in five. That's a 20, almost 20%. And so the thing is, there's a situation where, you know, now this is where some of you are worried that I'm going to get all political, and some of you are, are you know, are, are glad that I'm going to get all political, and both of you are going to be disappointed. And here's the thing. It, there's one, one guy wrote this in, uh, in, a, in Michael Lean's book, Change, that, that I want to talk to you about in a little while. He says, it's like this. I, my, my girlfriend had an abortion. And he goes, and I feel so empty. And he goes, and I don't know who to talk to about it. Because my pro-abortion friends, I have to pretend like it's no big deal. But the people that are anti-abortion, they scare me. I don't know that I can talk to them. There's lots of us that are in a situation that, that there's nowhere to go. And there's this stalemate, and it's kind of like this. Here's, you, here's what can go on the outline that, that you can put on. I think our situation looks like this. We're polarized and in pain. And we've been polarized for a long time. There's a lot of you that, have, uh, that are my age-ish that, like, uh, 
you know, that have been a Christ follower for somewhere in the 20-year range, 25-year range, and, and you, you know that this, this issue has been talked about for a while. And it, and it seems like it doesn't seem like it, the temperature goes up on this issue and then it goes down. And f- to be honest, you get kind of weary because it feels like there's two, in America, there's people standing on two sides of a canyon yelling at each other and arguing about whose rights trumps whose rights, right? Now, in, in Scripture, like I said, personally, and not personally, we as a community, are, are if we're going to be faithful to the Scripture, are unashamedly pro-life. But we're not angrily pro-life. We're not condemningly pro-life. And we also realize that in the process of the yelling back and forth, there's a lot of people in pain. And that God's plan is to heal and restore and to reach out and to extend grace to people. That's the plan. And so like last time I did a message on this at Journey, it was in the, we do this series. Um, I don't know if you guys, if you can relate to it. It's called God at the Movies. And, and I, I use different movies and stuff and, it's very heretical, so don't don't copy it. But it's uh, the the deal. We did this movie Juno. I don't know if you've seen this that movie, which is if you're a parent of an adolescent, it's a very scary movie. <laughs> it's funny, but it's like the first time I watched it, I still had like I had my son in the house and my daughter was, and I like ah this scares me. But then the second time I realized just this is such an awesomely pro-life movie. They didn't intend it to be, but anyway, so we did this message, and. Uh, and afterwards, you know, we're praying with people, and this woman comes up who's my age, um, young and cool, but, uh, like, uh, she comes up, and her, her shirt is literally, what, what do you call it, um, her blouse is soaking wet from tears, just soaking wet. She said, I had an abortion 25 years ago. She said, I've been a Christian for 20 years. And she goes, I have never until this day told anybody this. And she goes, I, and I've had no one to talk to, and I, I don't know where to go. And so... Here's the question. Is there a new way to talk about this? Is there a way to talk about this that, that can be something other than an argument? Obviously, in like one 40-minute uh, message, we can't say everything there is to say about this. But I want to just ask this question. Is there another way to speak about this, to be true to the heart of God? And, and so I'm going to talk about maybe, maybe it's an idea of moving upstream. Maybe if we move upstream Rather than arguing with our friends about rights, what if we move upstream from the rights discussion? Like, you know what I'm saying? Move towards the headwaters. Maybe there's some places we can make some headway. And, and actually, there's places where we are making some headway. And, and let me, it's kind of like this. When I was a kid, I, I think I was 10 or 11, something like that, uh, there was a big oil spill in Huntington Beach. And uh, some of you might be old enough to remember that. It was the first big coastal oil spill in the United States. And um, I remember one day we, were, we went to the beach, and uh, my family and I, and my brother and I were out, uh, you know, body surfing and stuff in the waves, and we came out. I am not kidding. We were, like, covered with tar. I mean, we, we looked, it was like an Al Jolson thing. I mean, we looked, like, totally, we had big blotches of oil all over us, and my dad is like, uh, here's bus fare. You're not getting in the car looking like, I mean, it's like, we'll see you at home. And so, you know, we got home, and, uh, and so we went to the backyard, right? And my dad gets paint thinner out, and he's, well, what, I mean, what else are you going to do? And so um, I'm just praying because he smoked, too. And so I'm like, he's going, this could be the end of, like, a horror movie here, and, uh, or one of those uh, thousand ways to die, <laughs> so, or whatever, right? And so, uh, so and, and uh, imagine you got your 10-year-old and your 8-year-old 
boys covered in tar, hair and body and all this spot, and you got paint thinner on a rag, and you're trying to scrub the tar off, you know, literally like beat the tar off of us. And, uh, and you know, nobody liked that. You know, imagine, it wasn't super pleasant for my dad. And we obviously, I mean, can you imagine? You're sitting there getting paint or tar wiped off of you with paint thinner, right? And it took two or three days to be non-flammable, you know? And, uh, and, and, and it's kind of like, I think that's kind of our, where we're at, is we're in a situation like at the bottom of the stream where nobody likes it. And it's kind of like there's no good answers, you know? And it's like, you know, what do you say to people? Is it, you know, and, 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 and maybe is, is it possible to go out to where the, the, the oil derricks off the shore and go, let's, let's talk about what's going on there. And so here's, here's what I'm going to suggest, is that there's two like big concepts in the Bible that, that can speak to us and that can call the best out of us and that maybe can be a way that we interact with each other and with our friends that can be true to both the facts of the Scripture and the heart of God. And, and there, there are two things that at first you're going to think, this doesn't have anything to do with abortion. And there, you're right, because I really didn't want to talk about this anyways, because it's too hard. So, um, no, I'm just kidding. It, it really does have quite a bit to do with it. And the first is this. What if we talk about living, and, and both of these might be vocabulary words for you, living the imago day, Living the imago day. Uh, it's imago day. Who knows what that means? Let me see your hands. Just, just say it if you know it. It means to live the image of God. There's this great concept that, that, that from the very beginning of the church that has informed like who we are as, as like, as, and what the rest of the Bible is about. In fact, if you don't understand God's creation of man and woman in Imago Dei, the gospel itself is not going to make very much sense to you because the gospel is about the restoration of the Imago Dei. I think, do we have Genesis on a slide? Did I, Genesis 1.27, did I tell you? I forgot if I said that. No? Yes? No, I guess the answer is no. It, you know, uh, it's a fairly familiar verse. It says in Genesis that, that, that the pinnacle of creation is this, that God created man and woman in the image of God. In the image of God, he created, created them. Zalem Elohim, he creates the man, and then he creates the woman to be the helper of the man. And the helper is not the assistant. It's not the go-get-coffee person. It's not the next level down on the org chart. It's like the assistant is the person that helps and completes the man to reflect the image of God. That's what she helps him to do, to reflect the image of God. And so we're created in the image of God. And we have this special place in creation. And so here, here's, here, here's how maybe you're like here and you're not, you know, you're not super into the Christian thing or you're not sure what you think about this stuff. Here's how you know this is true, even if you're not sure you believe the Bible, that every now and then this person that God dreamed that you would be, the Imago Dei person, the image of God person, this person will, will poke their head out. This person will you'll get like a glimpse out of the corner of your eye of this person that you dreamed to be. See, most of us, even those of us that are followers of Jesus, there's us, there's the me that I'm experiencing, and then there's this, this other me that haunts me. And that's the me that I know is out there that sometimes feels just out of reach, like the me that is really responsive to God. And see, that guy shows up every now and then. He shows up and he says just the right thing. Every now and then, he, he actually is unselfish. He actually does serve with a pure heart. Every now and then, he is that guy. And see, we were made Imago Dei. Jesus came. Listen, the gospel of Jesus is this. 
is not just that you came so you can be forgiven of all of your garbage, which is awesome in itself, but it's that he came so that, that you could be this guy again, that he is renewing you in the image of Christ. And it's kind of like this, this broken image. Jesus gets into you and he starts going to work and rebuilding that thing in you. And so like in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says that God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. So that why? So that we could be forgiven? No. So that we could, and not that we wouldn't be, so that we could be the righteousness of God in him. We could be that guy. Like we could be that person. That, that's, that's God's plan. And every now and then, that person, even, even those of us before we were followers of Jesus, every now and then, that person, like I think when people like see the thing in Haiti and they, their heart breaks and they give, and, and they go on to one of those websites and give 10 bucks or give 20 bucks. That's, that's Imago Dei. That's knocking, going, hey, this, this, I'm, I'm down here. And part of the Imago Dei, like when it appears the most obviously, I wrote this down on your outline. Look at this. It's when we understand that the strong are responsible for the weak. See, that's upstream. That's nothing to do with rights. What if we say this? And, you know, there's a place for political arguments and rights and stuff like that. But the scripture is not as much about rights as it is about the strong being responsible for the weak. What if we say, you know, you know how, look at, well, let me show you an act. In everything, Paul's speaking, this is kind of one of his, his beautiful, like, farewell address to some churches. He says, in everything, I showed you, I showed you this, I lived it out there by working hard in this manner that you must, underline this, like, 15 times you must help the weak you must help the weak i know some of you are going dude i'm gonna go get up tomorrow morning at about 5 30 and i'm gonna get in an office or i'm gonna get in my workplace and dude that's not how it works we don't help the weak we step on the weak we crush the weak that's my job my job is to crush the weak I, i get that i get that but but there's something else going on in this universe where the imago day is saying yeah but but there's another level of life in which you we help the weak. We keep looking down. And we remember, look down at this. We remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself has said. That, that it is more blessed. You will be happier. You will live a better life. You will enjoy life better. You will be good. You will be blessed to give than to receive. See, we help the weak. That's the Imago Dei poking its head out. Have you noticed this? You're walking out of Starbucks, right? And you see a guy walking in who's got a broken leg or he's on crutches, or he's in a wheelchair, you don't even think twice, right? You step, you pull the door, you make sure that they have easy entrance into the place, right? Now, I'm not saying that you should get a Nobel Prize for that, or Mother Teresa is going to go, wow, you're awesome. I mean, I'm not saying that, but I am saying this. That's, there's something in you, right, even that, that knows, that knows that you know that you know, that you don't even have to think about it. There's this reflex in you that says, we, we help the weak. We help the infirm. We help the help the differently abled, right? Does that, does that make sense? And you might say, yeah, but dude, that's just your culture. I mean, that's because you had good parents and your mom trained you to do that. Well, how did your mom know to train you to do that? The point is, that's the Imago Dei. There's something in us that says we should help the weak, that we really are, listen, that we are connected and responsible for one another. So here's, what if this discussion is about this? The more vulnerable you are, the weaker you are, the less privileged you are, the less of a voice you have, the more you deserve our help, the more you deserve reaching out to. Uh, can it, 
isn't it true that just about everybody in this discussion on both sides would agree that we, as people, when we're at our best, that we help the weak. That's who we are. That's, that's the person that God intended us to be. Now, there's another one that I'm going to spend a, a few minutes on. This is another, so mega concept one, we live the Imago Dei. And then nextly is we live the Jesus Shema. Another vocab word for you. We live the Jesus Shema. This, I'm guessing you've heard this passage somewhere before, but the context is this. There's a scribe that asked Jesus this question, and it wasn't like unique to Jesus, the question. Like uh, Jesus had, by the time he was asked this question, he had become a, a really like famous person. And uh, like there were other rabbis that addressed this. There's somewhere in the neighborhood of 613 commands in the, in the Hebrew Bible. So obviously, when you're dealing with 613 commands, the question becomes, uh, we're not likely to do all of these. So which, which of these are the top? Can you give me the top four? The top three? Is there a top one? And so it was a common kind of thing to ask the rabbi, rabbi, especially the famous ones like Hillel and Shammai and the other great rabbis, what's the most, the, the foremost, the, the word that the guy uses, the Greek word is the protos commandment. What's the prototype commandment? What's the commandment that's the commandment? And Jesus takes them back to the Shema. Now, this is where it gets weird, because I said the Jesus Shema. Now, Jesus answers the question in a way that is not unique to Jesus. Many of the rabbis would take you back to the Shema. And here's what Shema means. Look down at your outline. One of the scribes came and heard him arguing and recognized that he had answered well, asked him, what commandment is the protos, the prototype commandment, Jesus? And Jesus answered, the foremost is this. And now he begins to, like, if you, even to this day, if you have a Jewish friend, okay, and you know how, like, some people that used to go to church and they don't go anymore and they can't remember much, but they usually can remember one verse of the Bible. What is it? John, yeah, John 3.16, right? Your Jewish friend's John 3.16 is probably the Shema. And they could probably do it in Hebrew. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echod. Right? Hear, O Israel. Shema is here. Hear, O Israel. The Lord is your God. The Lord is one. And you shall, you know, anybody know it? Look, Jesus says it. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your modacha, all your, <clears throat> your strength. That's, that's what that word means. Now, here's the thing. If Jesus would have stopped there, they would have gone, good, that's awesome, Jesus, yeah, right on. Way to follow the tradition. Yeah, that is the right command. Yes, good job. But what was so brass of Jesus was that he messed with John 3.16. There's some things you don't mess with, you know what I mean? You don't mess with stuff. Jesus messed with the Shema. You can't add to the Shema. Jesus, you can't. And he's like, I just did. <laughs> you can't add to that. That's, that's a uh, Clint Eastwood reference. But he says, and the second is this. You shall love. Wait, there's no second? For one, I didn't ask you for a second. I just asked you for one. And for two, you can't mess with the Shema. Jesus says, well, I, I'm going to. I'm going to mess with it. And I'm not even, it's not even like, it's not like, it's not even where it says just keep reading. He takes a verse out of Leviticus. Nobody reads Leviticus. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, it's like, he takes a verse out of Leviticus and says, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Same, same kind of construction. And then he gives a, you shall love the neighbor as yourself. And it, look, look at what Jesus says. L- listen to this. Listen to how astounding this is. There's no other commandments than these. Wait, wait, whoa, whoa. That's two. There's 613. There's 611 by my count. He says, no, that's it. You do these, you're done. Yeah, but what about the uh, no snails and lobster? Wh- whatever. There's, there's no commandments in these. This is it. So we live, see, this is the Jesus Shema. There's a great book, uh, Scott McKnight wrote a book called The Jesus Creed, where he unpacks this, 
The, the Jesus Shema is like, look, love God with everything you've got and love your neighbor. So, so here's, when it comes to this topic, we, we move upstream. We move out to the oil derrick that's leaking the oil rather than just trying to argue over how to get the oil off the kids where nobody, there is no good solution. There is no thing that everybody's going to ever get with. We're not ever, but not for a while anyways. But here's, there's three things that I think that, that I want to just invite us into the Jesus Shema on about this subject. And one is this. Our heart, our heart if we're a, a community of authentic followers of Jesus living his Shema, our heart breaks for all the victims. Notice I say all the victims. Our heart breaks for, for the babies. Which you're like, yeah, that's right. But our heart also breaks for the women and the boyfriends, and the husbands, and the grandpas, and the moms. Are you ready? Get ready to not like me. And the providers of abortions. Heartbreaks, they're victims too. I know they're perpetrators. See, isn't that the gospel? That victim and perpetrator is kind of the same guy? That everybody needs forgiven? Victim, perpetrator. Is there any true, are we not all victims and are we not all perpetrators? Heartbreaks for all the victims. See, there's there's two words in Hebrew where it talks about right and wrong that, that are often together in the scriptures. There's tzaddik, which means righteousness. And up to now, I think we've talked a lot about abortion as tzaddik, as right and wrong, and that's good. But there's another concept where most, I don't know if this is absolutely true, but the, a big chunk of the time in the, in the Hebrew scriptures, in the Old Testament, tzaddik is paired with this other word, mishpat. And mishpat, anybody know what that means? It means justice. It's about exploitation. It's about people getting exploited. And we stand, you can't, there's, you can't separate those. You, you can't separate, lo, like, love and righteousness. You've got you to have a heart for justice for the, the people that are being exploited and hurt. The point is, our heart breaks for all the victims. All the victims. There's a, this friend of ours, she works with my wife, she goes to our church, her name is Michaeline Friedenberg, wrote, I think, a groundbreaking book on this subject. That's, that's, that's called Change. We're selling it in the back. I, I'm not selling it, but you guys are selling it. And, it's, and it's, this, it's her story of a woman at the age of 20 that got an abortion and, and how that put her in this cycle of hurt and pain. And see, here's the question. People need a place where they can have hearts breaking for them even when they're the perpetrator, even when they're at fault. See, Grace says sinner and victim yeah, you're welcome here. This is who we are. See, here, let me say this, and this is not in the outline, but here's what we need to understand. When I say all the victims, one of the biggest truths that we need to communicate that is a non-political truth, but it's absolutely the case, is this, is that there is no choice that will not change you. So the book is called Change. There is no choice. What, the, the abortion is sold as a choice that will not change you. In other words, look, if you want to just get on with your life and you don't want your life ruined by this thing, then take care of business and then you can get on with your life. It doesn't work that way. I, I, I have this, uh, you know, I have some stories from, from some girls, that, women that go to our church and, uh, you know, the, the, this, this one person says, when I went to the clinic, I was really scared. During my abortion, they'd given me an IV with drugs in it. The drugs were supposed to make it make me numb to what was going on. But what I felt, I will never forget. The only way I can describe it was, was a feeling of having, 
I'm sorry, having a soul ripped out of my body. See, that's, he's a victim. Amber says this, the whole experience was a walk of shame for me. She, she wasn't even a Christ follower. These, these are people that were not Christ followers at the time. It was a walk of shame for me. I even felt like the people at the clinic were talking about how stupid I was. I felt complete relief after the procedure. I was so glad not to be pregnant anymore, but I was still pregnant with shame. See, so our heart needs to break for all the victims, and we need to become, see, we, here's what the community of Christ followers need to be, a safe place, write this down in your outline, this is huge, a safe place to be broken and to find healing. See, as a church, here's the choices we really have. We can either be a place where it's okay to be jacked up, or we can be a place where everybody has to pretend that they're not jacked up. There's no other option. Like, we can say, we can be a place where we pretend that we're not jacked up, and on the surface, everybody looks neat and clean and tidy and brushed down and all good, but here's the problem with that. Nobody ever gets anywhere because the real you is not connecting with the real me, and the real me and you are not connecting with the real God because the, the real God, he goes right through that, and when you're connecting with a God that you're pretending with, that God doesn't even exist because God deals in reality, and then so... Real fake you is with fake me and with fake God, and guess what? Nobody gets anywhere. So instead, maybe we can become a place where we can. It's okay to be broken, and we can find healing. I <clears throat> have this experience. I'm uh, about uh, three or four years ago. I started feeling led before our services as I'm walking to church. And I, I park like we have horrendous parking issues, so I, I park like you know in Nevada and kind of walk in and. Uh, so I'm, I'm walking in, and I'm just thinking, I'm going to just pray the Lord's Prayer over our church, you know, and just uh, pray this. And I remember about six months ago, you know, I, I'm praying about the kingdom and God and the bread of life and all this stuff. And, uh, you know, see our Father. And uh, so I get to the part, forgive us our debts. And I don't know why it never occurred to me before, but six months ago I'm praying this, and I just all of a sudden had this vision, this, this vivid picture in my brain of all, like this mountain of putrid garbage that everybody was bring, dragging into church with them. Me included, by the way. Like all the, the junk of the week and all the baggage of my life and all the offense against God, the things I've said, the, the ways I've condemned people in my heart, the, the lust and the greed and all the, and I'm just dragging this garbage into church and and I'm thinking, everybody else is dragging this garbage. I'm thinking, some of these people are making two trips. You know what I mean? They're dragging all this stuff. And it's like, and I'm like, God. And I, and I started to just almost tremble and shake and go, oh, God, we're in such trouble. And, God, and, I, and I just felt like the Lord say to me, bring it. Bring it. Bring it all. Because you know what? We're going to talk about the cross of Jesus Christ. And where else can you bring that stuff? Where else are you ever going to bring that stuff? So Jesus stands there and with these holes in his wrists, and he says, come on, bring it. Yeah, but I, I'll, I'll leave this garbage outside because, you know, I know you wouldn't be comfortable being a holy man and all. You know, I'll leave it out. And Jesus says, no, you bring it. Bring that stuff. See, we, we need to be that. We, we either need to be that or be nothing because that's who Jesus calls his church to be, a place where we're a safe place to be broken and find healing. And then here's, here's another thing that is part of the Jesus Shema. That, you know, you, some of you guys know 1 Corinthians 13. 
It says love is, what's the first one? Love is patient. That's on your outline. Love is patient. Part of the thing is when we get in with people, victims, hurting people, we're patient. One of the girls that I'm reading that read the story from said, hey, I, I was pro-life, I was pro-choice when I walked in there. I still am. But I felt this, see, we have to be patient. We need, we need to say to people, you know, just come as you are. Come, come as you are, and we'll start, we'll start from there. We're not going to start from where we wish you were. Let's start from where you are. And that's where God starts with us. Like where you are right now. Where you are right now. So here's what we're going to do. Would you bow your head? And would you close your eyes? And, uh, uh, and we're going to pray. And uh, not that you've got to bow your head to pray or close your eyes, because God's cool either way, but just give us a private moment. And just use your mind and imagine God just knowing. <laughs> you know why I can imagine this? Because it's, it's absolutely true. God is right. He's real. He knows you. He knows the stuff you drug in. He knows the pain of your past. Are you ready for this one? He knows how you're going to screw up in the future. He knows how you're going to betray him and deny him. And he goes, that you, that real you, I want that guy. I want her. I want that real person. And maybe, maybe you're here and you've never, you never brought the real you to Jesus. You never experienced the awesome feeling of the real you connecting with the real God. And it's this thing that Jesus died for on the cross called forgiveness, called restoration, where he goes to work inside you to restore his image of you. So, Father... Um, we pray that you would make us people that can live the Jesus Shema, that can live the hero of Israel, that can love you with everything we've got and truly love our neighbor as yourself. God, that you would do your work of restoring your image in us and make us that kind of community. And, and God, give us the impact on our world that, that you dream that we'd have. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you.